0: so even saying sexually suggestive statements towards a child and certainly acting on it that goes without saying but saying it or implying it can even create the full-blown trauma of sexual abuse and again I say it because I want to remind you I said as Agdhoma the abuse is in the sexual development so if saying something or implying something puts a child into the sugya of being a sexual being prematurely well that's why they're done they're done. It's not because of the act that was a vicious act. It's because that, that inappropriateness put them into the sugya. Okay. I think the, the questions are getting generated now. There. Okay. Write them down. You know the kashas. I see it. Again, it. it's okay. Write all the kashas. well, we'll I, I have time. I'll handle it. I, I really will. You don't have to debate it. I'm okay with it took me a long time to come to term with this sugya you understand it's these years of struggling and struggling and going to conferences and, and trying to analyze and understand this and the hardest part for us as I say to you is almost every conference and workshop I've been to by the goyim simply doesn't touch our sugya in fact when I say it to them what do you think their reaction is when I tell them I start helping them understand the religious wow that's so amazing you have to write a paper you should publish this though so, you know they're very busy with publishing you know being famous that's their thing they they bichlal don't hap this nekuda of what it means in the religious world to see yourself as a sexual being prior to the appropriateness of that experience. They have no clue what that means to our kids. How that wrecks a life. Is that the definition of abuse by a boy as well? No. These things are, you see. The acts. The definition of abuse by a guy is always related to the maisa. The act. And in court, in, in, in diagnostic terms and in legal terms, it's always hull on the mate of the act. It's not true in our sugya not true we'll do the terrible thing by the guy later it's a very big kasha and there's an organization called NAMBA, North American Man-Boy Association in America of homosexuals of men who like having sex with boys and talk them into it where the boys approve of it and say yes we're interested and they do it and they tiny stark that there's nothing wrong with it if it's consensual They tainished a number, look them up, and they lobby with the federal government, and they lobby the legal system, and unfortunately, just like the gay rights people, now have gay marriages, who imagined... Gay marriages will be legitimized. Who imagines such a thing? And yet state after state in America is folding. I don't know what's going on in this country. And legitimizing gay marriages state after state. I assure you 20, 30, 40 years from now, some states can legitimize if the boy has a letter from his doctor that he's okay and he really holds it's fine, it's fine. They be'etsim don't hold it's wrong. What's wrong is if it's against the will, non-consensual. That's their problem with it, because you're doing something against someone's will. They do not hold the be'etzim. It's a necessarily abusive miser. Haraya, if the two kids are consensual, they think it's cute kids in in public schools in America, almost all kids in public schools are sexually active before they finish school. Almost everything, there's not a child in a public school in America that graduates 12th grade, that's 17 or 18, that hasn't been sexually active. There's almost no such thing. So they hold of it. In our world, that's sexual abuse. Not to them. It's just a different sugya, but I think it's just important that we at least have, in their world, they're looking at a maisa, an action, a behavior. For us, that's agav, that's not really it. That thing causes this, and this can be caused way beyond actions and maisa that they would not define as sexual abuse. A father complimenting his daughter on her development. Imagine telling a guy that's sexual abuse. They'll throw you out in your head. That's the most marvelous thing. Of course you should. They probably think that's wholesome. It's just a different sugya we have to them. And it's such a complicated thing because of that, because we don't have guidelines. We, we, in the world, the therapy world, working with this, it's like we feel like, as I know I do, we're inventing this as we go. We're trying to work this out. And that I've come a chidush in me. that's, by the way, that chidush I told you about sexual development, when I argued that even at a Frum conference, nefesh, when I said this publicly, the criticism I got from my colleagues, they came down on me like, whoa, you can't imagine. You can't just rewrite dsm for I said, yes, I can. We're from a yiddin. What are you talking about? We get guidance. Chachmah, we're going If it's not Chachmah, I'm What are you talking about? It's Shtus. It's not true. It's not reflective of our world. So why should I be Talmud? they don't get it. It's really, I'm telling you, the Fruma world of therapists who train amongst the going, most of the people don't get this either, because they're so busy trying to, I mean, it's sad, but that's the facts. When you work with the Sugya inside, we're rewriting. The first Kiddush I ever had was this, that abuse is not about the Mesa. It's about the impact on the child. That's the first thing. Okay. E, the use of position of trust to compel otherwise unwanted sexual activity without physical force. This happens with, with Rebis, uh, you know, unfortunately. It happens very commonly with counselors in camps. There's, I've said this many times, and i said it so many times, the goodness is all in America finally, finally sent out, every year they send out a letter before camp to every parent, and they make all the counselors sign forms because... There wasn't a camp. I mean, I I made the statement many times. You know, I have no clue people actually take me seriously until things happen and I get, like, threats. But I'll say, which I believe to be true, there's no dorm and there's no camp where sexual abuse doesn't occur. If you have a dorm, then something's happening somewhere in your dorm. And if you have a camp, something's happening somewhere in your camp. That is a fact. And unless we own that, we won't treat it. We're not going to do a darn thing about it. Nothing. And it's so, so, so tragic. There's no such thing. Well, I remember when I was a bokh, I heard Sisra, my yeshiva, he wouldn't have a dorm. He wouldn't have a dorm. And he once told me confidently that's why he didn't have a dorm. He said, because you have a dorm. He said, he put the, he, it was incredible. Eventually, I, I'm talking about Masifta, Masifta level. He would not have a dorm for the Masifta level. Masifta boys all had to stay with families would not have a dorm, because he knew what went on the dorms, this is going back 30 years ago, he obviously was well aware of what's happening but just the Mesa, just understand using a position of trust is an added factor for sexual abuse because I'm harsher. if you're the person in a power position you're harsh, you're a counselor, a Rebbe you're in an authority position and then you introduce me to this sogya, it's a contradiction to the whole thing of just two kids exploring themselves it's that I'm obviously needed in a sexual fashion that's the that's the knech that puts a kid into the sexual posture, and that's where the abuse happens and obviously incest goes without saying, because, and the reason it's on the list oddly enough, because everyone would think incest is the obvious sexual abuse but actually, people discount incest and say they were just playing around Brothers and sisters, incest means family, media family, Shiva crying, Having relations with each other is incest. And people say, no, but that's just playing around. It's not playing around. And it's heinous, 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 genius, heinous. It's heinous. Okay, I'm going to be a genius by the end of this. Okay. So, thoughts, molestation, one time touch. We don't go with their stuff. What we're looking at always is, is the impact on their lives. Okay. Some of the statistics, so we know we're going to move in, we're going to move into what it is, you know, so I just, in this sort of background, we understand, touch, what the Sugi is. Number seven, sexual abuse in the UK. This is what I found. These are recent statistics from the NSPCC. Is that right? NSPCC. This is their, some of their research, uh, and I found this stuff pretty recent. By the way, everything I've quoted, where I've quoted it from, is in the footnotes, but I know people have a hard time believing anything. So I put in the back, stuff that's anecdotal that's mine I've tried to actually acknowledge it's mine I'm telling you what I believe and why I believe it but the stuff that's documented is documented so I'm saying out what it is in the UK these are the stuff that I'm seeing here it is estimated that 24.1% of young adults experience sexual abuse including contact and non-contact by an adult or by a peer during childhood 24% I say one in five they're above that here they say more than 1 in 5 have that experience I'm going to tell you it's a little different with us and why and how and what but they're saying at least 1 in 5 and, and it's a problem here because you have, they're talking about a society where sexual interaction is okay where it's idealized where it's presented in movies and television as normal where kids and boy, have boyfriends and girlfriends and they have sexual relationships in high school and nevertheless with all that they still have a sub of sexual abuse if you didn't have all that, if all that wasn't okay, because a lot of the sexual interaction is, by their definition, non-abusive because it's consensual. So in our world, none of that would be consensual. So the figures leap up by us tremendously. This is tremendously dumbed down compared to what we would have because there's no legitimate outlet for any sexual interaction whatsoever, whereas in the secular world there totally is, even at young ages, very young ages. Kids all have boyfriends and girlfriends, you know, at, at nine, ten years old. Yes, I know. They, I don't, I are on their whole thing. This is quoted directly from their research. I, I disagree with this stuff. They're, they're mixing pedophilia and molestation. It's, it's a very, it's, it's a schwache inaccuracy, it's a poor inaccuracy. I don't know why they did it. Children aged 11 to 17, it is estimated that 1 in 6, 16.5% have experienced sexual abuse of that group. I think what they're really saying, have reported it because they wouldn't know about the others. But I think that they, when I read the whole article, it looked to me like what they were really saying have reported it, not what have actually experienced it. It wasn't a guess. Children 0 to 17, no hard figures, nevertheless. Estimated that two-thirds, 65.9%, of contact sexual abuse experienced by children 0 to 17 was perpetrated by someone aged under 18. This is very consistent with me. I was very surprised to see this because it's consistent with what I see. is outside pedophilia. This is molestation. This is classic. Child to child sexual abuse. It was actually the very first time I saw in any state statistic where they'd separated it out and they'd acknowledged the real sugya, which is children to children, not paedophilia pedoph- to you know with the older people. Reporting abuse committed by adults, more than one in three children, 11 to 17, who experienced contact sexual abuse by an adult did not tell anyone else about it. That's a very profound statistic. More than one in three didn't tell anyone. It actually goes up because reporting abuse by a peer, the next one, four out of five children age 11 to 17, they're the kids we talk to. They're the kids we most commonly talked about, sexual abuse. Did anything happen? And it turns out that even their statistics, of four out of five who experienced contact sexual abuse from a peer, our sugya, molestation, did not tell anyone else about it. I thought that was profound. In America, I don't have such strong, clear statistics. That statement is profound because that underlines everything I'm telling you about. Look what they're saying, according to their research. Four out of five children don't say a word to anyone about it. They never report it. English more reserved. Sorry, English more reserved. Okay, maybe we Americans wouldn't. Okay, could be. But it's still an incredible statistic because those few that we actually hear about, if four out of five never say anything, then imagine what we all know exists already. Just go four or five times more is probably what we're actually looking at, and I think that's actually true. I think that's probably very much on target. We're looking at about one, you know, five, uh, five percent. No, we're probably looking about uh, about twenty percent of what is actually occurring. Of what actually occurring, it's much more. It's four or five times more than we actually know it is. They're just too ashamed to say a word about it. They try, or they're trying to be resilient or they forgot. The trauma actually creates memory loss. And there's a lot of kids do not know. And it comes back later with therapy in the most horrendous ways. This woman I mentioned before had no memory of it. None. And it wasn't until I asked this question to her husband, why is he more interested in pornography than her? I actually went a bit overboard. I said, you have such an attractive wife. That's what they pinned me on. Apparently it wasn't sneer stick and I shouldn't have said it. Now I say it. I got a hatter to say it. Now, I got ahead to say it because it's an intervention. So I'll tell the guy, look, you have a very nice, attractive wife. Why are you interested in this? Not her. That's an intervention to provoke you know, an unconscious reaction, and it's uncanny how almost always, within a week or two, there's a breakdown when that happens. With that one intervention, that one line, There's a whole breakdown where the sexual abuse memories start coming. There'll be flashbacks, panic attacks, and eventually it comes out into a sexual abuse case. Incredibly so. In the U.S., it is estimated in the general U.S. population that 90% of special needs children have been sexually abused in some fashion. 90% of kids in special ed. That's their incredible statistic. That includes boys and girls, even infants and toddlers. It's further, and toddlers, I'm going to come to a sugar toddlers later on that's going to make everyone nauseous, but I've I got to say it and I'm going to talk about it because I think it's so profound. It is further estimated that approximately 20 to 35% of women, 8 to 7% of men in the general U.S. population will experience an act of sexual abuse during their childhood. So they're pinning it at about 20 to 35%. It's almost a third. It's between, right? it's between a, 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 a fifth and a, a third or a quarter. There. It, it, it's somewhere around those statistics. It's enormous. They make a differentiation, men and women. I think that's only because they define sexual abuse differently to us. They, they, what we're defining, what I'm defining as sexual abuse, is the impact on sexual development. And once you do that, these figures are all off. But it's, it's this plus. If that's the figures in the lay public, there's no reason to believe it's profoundly less by us. And in fact, turns out it's worse by us. It's probably worse by us. And the reason it's probably worse by us is because with the separation that we have, and with no outlet, there are those kids who might have an, a desire to do an inappropriate act, that in the secular world they will go and do something that's tolerated or acceptable in their circumstance. So it may actually turn out to be higher statistics by us, not less, which is really profound. In the film community, let I want to. I want This is all introduction to the sugya, so that I can get into what's actually happening. What I, I really. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Um, is it ten to nine? Oh gosh. Mm-hmm. I said four hours. Didn't we say four hours? We said four hours. Okay. Okay. I'm going to start walking into us. This was everything by way of introduction to the sugya had come now let 's start talking about how what, what are we actually dealing with and what 's happening in our communities. The figures are wrong first of all in our community number one the all the research i 've done, both technical research like the you know interviewing kids. And, and, and looking at my case files, and the anecdotal research of working with communities, of, of um, speaking to colleagues, it seems to us pretty clear that the incidence of sexual abuse is equal both with boys and girls in our community. It's not any different. People seem to think it's more with girls, and that's nonsense. There was a switch for a while where people actually thought it was more with boys than girls the girls the boys but actually it seems to us it's pretty much the same with boys and girls and I'll tell you the statistics that I believe are the reality of our community and they are that um, one in five children one in five of all children in our world will have a sexual abuse experience in their childhood that's what I believe are the facts one in five of those one in five We're going to talk about their reactions, and the differences in boys and girls, and the differences even in those who get abused. Because later on, I'm going to talk about, in 8b, in a moment, I'll talk about the issue of resilience, because that explains a lot to us, although it's a very misleading fact. Now, what you should have in your handout, you don't. There was a page missing. I'm sorry. It wasn't here. So we're going to have... Oh, actually, it's not yet. It's between 8 and 9, right before 9. There's going to be a page. I'm going to have to read you some stuff. Oh, really? That's great, because we'll leave this... Let me write the numbers on there. One minute, one minute. This will be 9 and 10. We'll we'll change the numbers. Yeah, I know. This would really replace 9 and 10 later on, so you can change the numbers. I, I... I don't know why it wasn't there. Okay. What? Oh, you need a break already? I'm just going. I don't need to be oh, do, we, do you want a quick break? Would you like a quick break? Yes? A quick break? Yeah, yeah. Okay, can we make it just 10 minutes? Just 10 minute break? 10 minutes. just 10 minute break, okay? 10 and then we'll continue. Because we're just about to get started, so. Okay, so we're going to pick it up at um, number 8. Actually, let me jump into. I'm going to do the the order. I'm going to change it for myself in the future. But I want to do 8B first and then 8A. I'm switching 8A and 8B. I realize they're the wrong order. And the the last point I made was the figures are wrong. The boys and girls, I believe, is all about the same. It's about one in five of all kids have a sexual, a sexual abuse experience in their childhood. But I'm going to make now a, a caveat. I want to do the issue of resilience. Of the, I would think that the, the probably statistics are that if one in five are, have the experience of sexual abuse, half of them are resilient that means they seem to and I'm going to talk about what I think how resilient they really are But at least during their childhood years, up into adult years, they will not necessarily display the trauma of sexual abuse. It will not wreck their life. Actually, when I first started giving these drushas early on, in fact, probably the very first one I remember I ever gave, I got a lot of flack in the middle of the drusha. It wasn't just that we weren't used to hearing it. I probably wasn't so good at giving it either, so I take some of the blame for that. But in the middle, I could see people were fighting me, and I didn't understand why they were so upset and critical. And then later on, someone came back and told me a story. And this is the story the person told me. A certain Rav. I'm not going to say where this happened, but it was a group of mechanchim and rabbanim, and a very chashubarov came back after everyone had gone. It was a weird setup. It was in a school building. I was on a, like a, a platform, like where they have plays, and they have a curtain, and oddly enough, when I finished, the curtain closed. It was really bizarre, and I was behind the curtain, packing up my briefcase and stuff, feeling very weird, you know, as they cut, cut me off at the other, they're going to open up and I'm going to bow, like I not know what was going to happen, but they closed this thing, it was very strange. And I'm behind the curtain, packing up my stuff. And this very hush of a comes around and comes to the bank. And uh, I see he was very disturbed. And uh, I first thought he was going to blast me. You know, I, this was one of the very first ones I ever did. And uh, in fact, he started getting emotional and he started crying. And he gives me a whole drasha about how that night... I've revoked, reinvoked all his old trauma. He was a trauma victim who had buried all his feelings, all his feelings about the abuse that had happened to him. And he told me the most incredible thing, how he was actually bawling, crying so hard on that stage next to me. I held him. I remember that. And then he told me the following story. He said, the worst part of it all, he said to me, is my abuser was sitting two rows behind me in this kinnus. The abuser was still there in chinuch and was sitting two rows behind him and was not much older than him. Now they both went into chinuch and he was there. He wasn't like an older; he was just a couple years older than him. He was there and he had buried it all. Well, after that happened, I started doing a lot of research and understanding and questioning. See, I get most of my material is actually not from, the, I get statistics from research, but the material comes out of the work, talking to the victims, talking to people, listening carefully to abuse victims. Thank you so much listening to them and their stories and challenging them is where you get you know that's where the material comes, because it's real and one of the things I discovered is the issue of resilience and it turns out that about half of all the kids who are abused are resilient in the term that they will not react to the abuse. They bury it. To them, it's water off a duck's back. They look at it as if, ah, stupid, cough, what a foolish thing. They somehow find a way to knock it out. Now, I have grave reservation about whether later on in life it affects them in their marriages in other ways I I don't know and I just don't have the statistics or the research. I do know these caveats that I've mentioned to you where couples getting married and coming in where that trauma re-emerges are are the resilient cases they were resilient, they went through school, they went through yeshiva, they went through besiagam and seminary, they stayed in and they're fine, you know, they're part of our system and they're doing just fine so And I know many of those people, then later on when they got married, their marriages fell apart, their life fell apart, their relationships, their physical relationships, it all fell apart. Unfortunately. So we know that some of those so called resilient ones definitely were not resilient later on. Do you want to hold on to those for the moment? Don't give them out yet. The ones you just copied, yeah, just hold them. Everyone will be reading them otherwise. Okay. Perfect. Whoever made it? Who made the coffee? Perfect. The coffee? The coffee. (laughs) Okay. But the issue of resilience is as follows. It seems that half of them attack a resilient, and there may be a large number of those who, in fact, it didn't bother them, it didn't affect their marriages, it didn't affect their life, and it's about half enough. So if we say that one in five are molested, sexually abused in their childhood, I would say one in ten are profoundly affected as children. That's what we know. So, if you imagine, just for the sake of understanding, in a classroom of a theoretical classroom if there were 30 kids, you would expect on average to three whose lives are wrecked already. They're acting out, struggling, problems, issues. Three out of every 30 kids you know are sexual abuse victims, statistically. That's really an important thing to understand. We're going to go five and up in school. school. After primary, boys, boys after primary, we're going to come to that. But in a class, I'll differentiate boys and girls in a moment because it's a different subject. But in the classes where they're going to be, three out of 30 are already acting out. It's not ADD and it's not bad parents and it's not they let them go to the library and they expose, you know, it's none of the above. It's sexual abuse and it's tragic because we have no clue we never even think that who would have called that that's what you're looking at but that is statistically the facts of what it is in our community okay the second problem with resilience is the following, and this is why I discovered that very often, I, I actually, I didn't do it tonight, so I'm not sure why. I actually felt very comfortable, I must tell you. you, you the Kabbalah poem here, as Rob should know, is very different than almost anywhere I've been. It's really amazing. I it just, I don't know. I don't know, maybe because we... Yeah. <laughs> It's truly something exceptional. I have to say, I walk in, they look at me usually like I'm the devil. And we have to like suffer through you. You know, let's get this over and done with. This is, maybe we know each other a little bit, you know, and maybe that's, I don't know. But it's just very, but I'll tell you what usually happens. In the group, see, if if you've got a group, let's say there's 30 people here. I would assume there are three trauma victims who survived trauma in the room here. They have to be, statistically. There may even be more. What happens to me very often, and what I've discovered, and that's why I just want to comment on resilience, is in the work, the greatest problem we've had in getting people to take sexual abuse seriously are victims who were resilient, who are now Rabanim, therapists, um, uh, and they were resilient and they know it happened to them they'll never tell you that they'll just be very critical of everything I say the whole thing makes no sense it's all fragged up and they'll come out oh now wrecked it no one's going to frag it sorry well, no, present company excluded boy did I just wreck this I'm sorry wow <laughs> oh dear okay you can hand your questions up on paper okay write them up write them up I will not share your handwriting with anyone We'll do a forensic examination later on. We said, I just wrecked it, didn't I? Oh, but, but you should know, in most cases, that's what I discovered. I took the chutzpah, Mamish the chutzpah, in a very, very, very de- deferential and gentle way over the years to actually ask you. When I noticed someone in the audience was really bitter and was, re- you can just tell someone has it in for me they just want to frag up everything it's not like a polite question like you know can you explain this it's, what are you talking about them say uh, uh, you know that kind of thing I realized that's probably what it was and I took the liberty to inquire and incredibly people really want to know how you get people to listen to you for so many hours <laughs> <laughs> the, the, this, I always say like this in America they think I'm English in England they think I'm American so it like works you know it's like the novelty <laughs> what I realized that one of the greatest impediments we faced in getting something done, which we completely ignored, I ignored it until I chapped the, the, the truth is that every group I speak to there are people who have been abused who were resilient, so when you start saying about well, the impact of abuse and our wrecks lives, I know they're sitting there saying it's not true it's not true! The guy writes. how does he know? Where's he, blah, blah, blah. And it wrecks the whole process. What I've tried to do is reach out to those people. I actually, I didn't do it tonight, and I'm surprised in myself I didn't do it, but I often address this as the first comment I say, that I'm aware in this group there are these people, you will have a hard time hearing me. You will have a very hard time hearing me, because you are, you are fortunate enough to be resilient. You should thank the Rabbanisham instead of being mad with me and trying to throw this all out. You should thank the Rabbanisham as you hear what is the experience of those children who are not resilient.